So, what do um, Steve Jobs, J.K. Rowling, Elon Musk, and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? Other than the fact that they could fund our proposed building project with the change that they lose between the cushions on their couches, what do they have in common? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's really hopefully obvious. They, each one suffered rejection after rejection along their pathway to what they became. If you have an iPhone in your pocket, uh, Steve Jobs and his crew at Apple invented that. Even though Steve Jobs <laughs> was, was fired from his own company in 1985 after a failed palace coup, he wanted to be the CEO, but the board didn't like the direction he was thinking about taking the country. And plus, as, as one former employee said, he was a jerk and nobody wanted him as the CEO. So, so they fired him. He came back, and if you have an iPhone or a Mac, you know that things worked out pretty well. J.K. Rowling uh, was an, uh, a, uh, an unemployed, well, she had a temporary job as a secretary, freshly divorced, single mom, living on public assistance in England. When she was on a train, well, a long train ride that she had into work every day, and three characters came into her mind. Harry Potter, Ron Weasley, and Hermione Granger. And it set her on, on a task of, of writing this story that she said really she couldn't stop. It just kept coming and kept coming. And so she wrote this story. And she sent it to 12 different publishers. And all 12 of them said, this is silly. This, this, is, this, is, a, this is ancient. Uh, nobody's interested in this sort of thing. Until finally Bloom, uh, Bloomfield, was it Bloom? I forget the publishing company that, Bloomsbury Publishing, finally published her manuscript for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And uh, she's now the ninth most successful author in the history of authors. Elon Musk, I know some people's heart rate just went up. Uh, You certainly can't think about Elon Musk without having some sort of emotional response. Um, But Elon Musk started a a little company called Zip2 back in 1999 and sold it for $300 million. Um, He was eventually fired from that company as well. Uh, He also founded a company you may have heard of called PayPal, Uh, and had this idea for a payment platform online that was at the time considered to be one of the 10 worst business ideas ever. And so he was fired again on his honeymoon. He was fired over the phone from uh, his his, uh, position as CEO of PayPal. He went on and was rejected by the Russians. He wanted to buy rockets from them because he had an idea that he could deliver mice to space more efficiently than NASA could. He was rejected all down the line, um, and, and today is worth $193 billion, uh, and you can think of him what you will. I simply throw that out there because rejection uh, was not a barrier that he was willing to allow to stop him. Uh, 
Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey was fired in Baltimore as a news anchor uh, because the, she was a co-anchor. The anchor didn't like her style, thought it was too personable, not hard-hitting, newsy enough, and she would never make it. And so she was fired. And later they rehired her to do a kind of a, a soft-spoken talk show. They thought maybe she had a little bit of an aptitude for being a talk show host. <laughs> and I don't know how many billions of dollars later, Oprah has done okay. But Oprah said this, and I thought this was pretty good. Failure is life just trying to push us in another direction. And we could go on and on. And I don't lift any of these people up as champions. I'm not, I'm not saying they're good, bad, or otherwise. I'm simply saying that these are four people who struggled with repeated rejection and were able to move forward for one reason, really. Rejection basically is a crossroads. Uh, it's, it's a tough emotional response, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's really a crossroads, and then the path we choose is up to us. And the, all four of these people and so many others that we could list, people that you know personally that we could put on the list, are, were so driven by a vision that they had and a sense of calling that they had that they could be something more than other people saw in them that they just kept going and rejection wasn't enough to keep them down. Rejection is very tough for us to get past, however, because it is such a visceral reaction. And that's what it really is. Rejection is a reaction to an action that breaks our hearts. <laughs> Almost literally. Uh, I read some research this week, and I know it's always dangerous whenever you read a little bit of research, but, but as someone who has dealt with the fallout from rejection uh, for his whole life, and I have, um, and, and it was really rejection that was more about what I had conjured up in my soul than what was really happening. But maybe you've dealt with rejection along the way too. You know that it can be extremely painful. And in fact, researchers put some people in a functional MRI, which is an MRI that's big enough to allow people to do things so that they can have thought processes while it's mapping their brain. And they can look for which part of the brain is working. And so they put some people, some researchers, put people in a functional MRI and let them watch or, or actually play this video game. It was a video game where you're playing cyberball and you're playing ball with two other people. And they're throwing the ball, and the three of you are throwing the ball among yourselves. And then eventually they stop throwing the ball to you and just throw it to each other. And what they found out was that whenever people stop throwing the ball to you, these people who are in the MRI, the same part of the brain that registers physical pain started to register. And this sense of rejection actually feels like physical pain. Only, only sometimes physical pain is easier to get over than the emotional pain. No one escapes rejection um, if you are a part of social media, you expose yourself to it every day, and there is an entirely new group of people who are learning about rejection in a new way as we post pictures and stories and events on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and then wait for the likes to roll in. And when the likes 
don't roll in. Suddenly we feel rejected. Nobody liked my picture of the cat. Nobody liked, especially if it's a picture of your grandkid. Now that really hurts. That's not fair. But, but nobody liked that picture of, of me and my grandchild or nobody liked the story that I posted or whatever it may be, pictures from vacation. And we receive that then as rejection and it feels like physical pain and it hurts. And unfortunately, it doesn't have a half-life like radioactive material does. It sticks with us. And in fact, of all the mass shootings that have occurred in our country in the last 15 years, a strong, visceral sense of rejection is at the heart of almost every single killer as they have analyzed the cases and the people who perpetrated the crimes. There is a sense of rejection that goes deep and sometimes it can cause us to react in, in horrible ways. And I say all of that to say this. Rejection is real. Rejection is a part of life. And there's no way, as we learn from the four people I mentioned earlier and others that you know in your life, there's no way that we can move forward in life until we try things that people may either accept or reject. And so if we are to grow, rejection is bound to be along the way somewhere, and the same is true in our life of faith. And that brings us to this sermon series that we begin today. And, and I'm, I'm really excited is the wrong word because this, it's, going to be, it's going to be difficult at times. And we're going to hear and read things that are hard to hear and read. But it's all a part of this gospel that has saved you and me and stands with the potential to save the entire world if we can get enough people to consider it. But rejection can stop us in our tracks as followers of Jesus Christ, just like it can stop us as we participate in social media or as members of our family or social groups or whatever the case may be. It is very powerful. So how do we get past it? How do we move beyond it? Well, my fallback these days is always to look at Jesus. We think of Jesus as as being, okay, he, he was God. He was God. He came. And he, he was the creator of the universe, and he came and lived as a human being. But he was God. And, and sometimes it's easy for us to think that the, the difficult circumstances he was in uh, weren't weren't as painful to him as they are to us. And we forget that he was fully human just as we are. And if they were to put Jesus in a functional MRI on that day when he was rejected in his own hometown synagogue, my guess is there would have been a pain center in his brain that lit up because he was a human being and it hurt. And he suffered rejection over and over again. And yet something kept him moving forward. And the rejection then became part of his resolve. And that's what we're going to talk about over these next weeks as we talk about how he set his face. Other translations say he set out resolutely, meaning with complete resolve. He set unwavering commitment to head toward Jerusalem because that was his ultimate destination and the place where his calling would be realized. So, we're going to talk about today rejection. 
Jesus, as he faced Jerusalem, faced rejection in a very specific way. And, and I want to see if we can find for ourselves a way to move past the rejection in our own lives. If you're like me, you may have figured out that the best way to avoid rejection on social media is don't put stuff out there so much and be careful what you do. And whatever you do, don't let somebody else's opinion weigh more than it should in your own soul. But for me, and maybe this is true for you, maybe there's some rejection that's lodged in there that has accumulated over time and it rears its ugly head from time to time and rejection can stop us whenever we feel that pain and we remember how much it hurt and whenever we feel like we need to do something that could be perhaps misunderstood or rejected by someone else, we hold off. And that can happen, very much can happen in our walk with Christ. So I want us to talk about that this morning um, so that even though the pain may find its place in our soul, we can find our place next to Jesus and understand that his calling can keep us moving forward just as it kept the four people that I mentioned at the beginning moving forward, their vision, their sense of calling, being called to something bigger. We are called to something even bigger than any of the four of those we're called to, and that is advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world around us. So let's read a passage of scripture, and this is uh, just a few short verses from uh, Luke's gospel. Um, and, and let's set this up for just a second. This, this follows after the transfiguration. That's the story where Jesus and some of his inner circle disciples went up on a mountaintop, and there was this vision up there of, of Elijah and Moses coming to talk with Jesus. We're going to talk, we're going to, in fact, I'm going to read that verse in a minute. But, but that had happened, and there had been all these healings. But then Jesus realized that there was, that it was time, for whatever reason, the time had come for him to take this next phase of the mission and put it into motion. So, let me, let me read this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely, hang on that word for a minute, resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Other translations say he set his face for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. If you have a Bible, you want to rem- you want to underscore that because that's key. That's why they didn't welcome him. He was heading for Jerusalem. We'll talk about that. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? (laughs) But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. That... uh, that scene from the transfiguration, that's, that's just a few verses above this one. It says this, they were up on the mountaintop. It was uh, Jesus in this inner circle of disciples up on the mountaintop. They'd gone up there ostensibly to pray, have a little spiritual retreat. And then suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. What were they talking about? They spoke about his departure, 
which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. That's why Jerusalem is such a big deal, his departure. And they weren't talking about him getting on a plane and headed for somewhere or getting on a cruise ship. His departure meant his departure from this earthly life, his departure as a human being on the planet, on the cross. That's all wrapped up in all that. That's what's coming. That's what's in Jerusalem. And so he set his face resolutely, unwavering, purposeful, determined, he was going to go to Jerusalem. And as I mentioned before, this wasn't his first rejection, nor would it be his last. Rejected at his hometown synagogue after preaching his first sermon because he started to reveal who he was and people didn't understand. He would be rejected after this in favor of a murdering insurrectionist named Barabbas who would be pardoned for his crime and Jesus would be sent to a cross. And there were other rejections along the way. He knew, he knew what it was like. He knew how it felt. Peter would reject him. Whenever Jesus was called before the Sanhedrin and Peter was warming himself by a fire and someone said, hey, 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 aren't, aren't you, you're one of his disciples. Peter cursed. I never knew him. <laughs> Rejection. So verse 53 drills down into why they rejected him. The people did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. Now remember, got to remember who Jews and Samaritans were. They hated each other. And we don't have time to go into all that. Maybe we'll do a sermon series on that someday because it's really fascinating how all that happened. But the Samaritans were people who worshipped in Samaria, not in Jerusalem. There had been this separation from the Jewish people. had to do with the exile and the ones that went and the ones that stayed. But suffice it to say, they hated each other and had been feuding and hating for years and years. And it's, so it's not surprising that they didn't welcome Jesus being a Jewish rabbi. What is surprising, well, I guess if you know Jesus, it's not, but it is from our perspective, is his reaction. Jesus knew why the Samaritans were going to reject him. He had gone through all this before with a woman at the well. You go back and read John's Gospel. And, and, and this whole thing about Samaritans and Jews is actually explained pretty well in that conversation he has with that woman. So he's, he's been down this road. He understands the problem. But the most important thing is he doesn't do anything to strike back at them. In fact, here's what I think. I think whenever they did not welcome him, I think he remembered that event whenever he was with the woman at the well and, and had this incredible conversation where she realized he was the Messiah. And she went back to her village and people from the village came and many of them were saved because of her testimony that brought them to him. So I think he might've had a soft spot. I think he knew that probably deep down some of them knew who he was and maybe didn't feel so badly toward him, but as a people, they had to reject him. And that's something for us to remember. Sometimes we may, we may 
submit to what the crowd thinks, even though it may be in conflict with what we think personally about someone. But Samaritans hate Jews, so Jesus wasn't welcome. He didn't hate them. He was just doing what Jesus does. He was seeking out people and loving them. That's why I stopped there. And I think it, it begs a point to remember about rejection. Rejection doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. It just may be that we're headed in a different direction. And that may be why some people reject us. Our, our viewpoint is headed in a different direction. Our life path is headed in a different direction. There's nothing, it doesn't mean that because someone rejects us that we're flawed and there's a problem. It just means we're going in different directions, and that's important to remember. On the other hand, the disciples' reaction is quite different. <laughs> I just love this passage. When James, when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want, where did this come from? Do you want us to call fire down from heaven and destroy them? I mean, come on, guys. Isn't that a little heavy-handed? But interestingly, there's some background to that. See, they're in Samaria. About 150 years before that, there was a prophet, Elijah, and he was there. And King Ahaziah, who was supposed to be a Jew, was consulting Baal, that was one of the, one of the little G god uh, oracles, gods, and was, had been consulting Baal uh, for advice about how to run the country. And Elijah had gone to call him out on that. Whoa, 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 what about God here? You're rejecting God in favor of somebody else. And so Ahaziah sent a squadron out to get Elijah. And Elijah, on two different occasions, literally called down fire from heaven and just incinerated the squadron that had come out to get him. So there's a historical reference here because kind of the same thing is happening. The, the Samaritan people were rebelling against God. Jesus had come to call them out and say, hey, you know, come and let me talk to you about who God really is. And so these, so, so James and John probably remember this story and they're like, I remember, hey, let's do what Elijah did. Let's just torch them because that sometimes is the response to rejection. No, you're not going to treat me like that. No, I'm going to get back at you. But Jesus was showing them a different way, a new way to react to rejection. His mission was to show the world, and, and by the way, in those, day, in those days, there was, there was a very strong honor-shame culture at play. Now, now, that's true in our world today, too. But in those days, if someone dishonored you or your family, you took action. If someone shamed you publicly, you didn't let it sit. You did something about it. That's the way the world was then. A lot of cases, that's the way the world is today. But it only leads to more violence. It only leads to more heartbreak. It certainly doesn't lead us in the direction of Jesus. 
But that's what the disciples wanted to do. And that's what sometimes we want to do. But Jesus is trying to show us another way. And if we can get our focus on him and away from the hurt, the pain, the physical pain that we sometimes feel inside of us from the rejection, sometimes we can come out in a better place. You know, maybe, and I've talked about this before, and I love my father dearly, and my father loved me, and I know that, but there were times I wasn't sure because of choices he made in his life. And I, I mention this simply because many of you maybe have had similar experiences with parents or, or someone else who was important to you. And it wasn't because he didn't love me or love my brother. He was trying to make a living. He was trying to figure out how to raise two boys. When his, he, he didn't even remember his father. He died when he was four. And he was trying to figure out how to negotiate all that and had no idea how to do it. And in the process was not around very much, which I took as rejection. And on two different occasions, separated by 25 years, two different counselors that I went to to, to talk with because of anxiety that I was feeling in my life, both of them, in a matter of two sessions, zeroed in on it. And both of them said the same thing. So when are you finally going to stop trying to get your father to like you? Both of them basically said that to me. And of course, my father did like me. My father did love me. But their point was, you are letting your life get turned upside down, and you are living with anger that becomes anxiety, and, and then the anxiety becomes anger because you're not dealing with it, and you're just letting it go because you don't know what to do with it. Channel it. Do something positive with it. Both said to me. And so I made the commitment to myself years ago, the first time, that I was going to be there for my children. I was going to learn from it. And I was going to be there for them one way or the other. I was going to be, a, I was going to be an intimate part of their life. And later on, I used it as a way to lean toward God, to understand that I was accepted, and that's what both of these counselors told me. Don't ever forget, whoever you think may have rejected you, and again, my father really didn't reject me, but it sure felt like that. Your heavenly father accepts you. Jesus accepted the disciples. He had to have been upset when they wanted to torch the Samaritan village, but they continued on with him, and they learned, and they grew, and they grew into a calling that helped them understand rejection was part of the deal, but they were accepted by the God of the universe, and that overrules anybody else's potential rejection. Being rejected is someone else's choice. Choosing resentment or resolve is ours. We don't have to live with it. We don't have to react. We don't have to call down fire from heaven. We can take that rejection and we can turn it around and use it as resolve to accept our acceptance by the king of the universe. Jesus loves you desperately, has fully accepted you into his heart. There may be some things we all still do that he's not crazy about, but he has accepted you as who you are and accepted me. And what he wants us to do is follow him on his way to Jerusalem 
so that others may see and hear that he has accepted them as well. Rejection doesn't have to define us. It did not define Jesus. It simply motivated him to keep moving forward. Rejection doesn't define us either. Jesus defines us. Acknowledge the rejection if you still feel it there, and I still feel it sometimes. Acknowledge it. It's a physical response to someone else's choice. And we can choose not to let them have that kind of power over us. We can choose to accept our acceptance in Jesus and then continue on the journey with him all the way to Jerusalem. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do get confused sometimes as to who decides what we're worth how we did. And Lord, it gets us off track. And we become so focused on the pain and getting back at somebody that we lose our calling to follow you and speak peace and truth in every conversation, to commit actions that love and accept instead of separate and reject and hate. So, Lord, help us now by the power of your Spirit to accept our acceptance, to continue on this journey with Jesus, to learn all that we can learn, to gain strength from the power of his presence so that we may grow into who you know we are and not what someone else thinks we are. Oh, God, thank you for loving us enough to go to Jerusalem on our behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.